faith. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. Today concludes uh, our study that we've been in um, these last few weeks through the summer. Uh, these two letters written from Peter to these little churches that were scattered all across what we know now as modern-day Turkey. I've loved everything about this study. I don't know if you have, but this study has been so good for me. The Peter that I meet in the Gospels, that sort of impetuous guy, uh, the guy that runs around kind of a little bit crazy, makes some mistakes along the way, uh, that Peter has matured to the Peter that we've met here in these letters, probably 30 years later, these letters that uh, Peter is writing. We don't see much of that self-protection that uh, we saw in Peter. We don't see that sort of uh, times where he's trying to figure it all out and he doesn't know what's going on and he's asking all these crazy questions. That's not the Peter we meet here in Second Peter, First and Second Peter. We meet a matured Peter, a Peter who's been transformed and that gives me encouragement. That gives me hope. I trust that you've been encouraged as we've read these couple of letters together. Peter is fully living into who Jesus has called him to be. That's uh, our hope and desire for all of us here this morning, is that we, us, you and I, that we would truly live into that person that Jesus has called us to be. In this last chapter of what we've called his farewell speech, Peter's going to remind these little churches and our little church of the person of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that he can say more about, no one that he can say more about than the person of Jesus Christ. So if you're looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, these are the first seven verses. It says this, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. But above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestor died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We'll just point out two simple observations from these verses. The first is this, there will be a final judgment. And the second is, God will do the judging, not me and you. Just to be clear, Peter's not talking here about judge not, lest ye be judged. He's talking about the second coming. He's talking about the return of Christ. He's talking about the final judgment. We could spend a lot of time talking about the rapture and the signs and all that's going to happen and when that's going to happen. But that's not, what, that's not what Peter's talking about in this text. So let's just stay here. Then verse 3 in the New Living Translation verse 3 says, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in these last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Most importantly, he says, most importantly, I want to remind you. This is going to happen. I want to remind you so you won't be surprised. I want to remind you. I want you to know. Don't worry. It's going to come. You 
don't have to freak out. I want to remind you, you've been warned. I think Peter's, if you will, I think Peter's following uh, Jesus when Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, this is going to happen, and I'm telling you this is going to happen, so that when it does happen, you won't be surprised. This is part of the story. This is part of the plan. And Peter is saying the same thing. I'm writing this to you so that when it comes, you won't be surprised. Jesus says, this is going to happen. And when this happens, when persecution comes, I want you to trust me. Jesus has given us the heads up. When it comes and it's going to come, I just want you to trust me. So in light of all of this, in light of what we just read, what's your job? And what's my job? Our job is to be faithful in the here and now. God's job is the outcomes. Our job is to be faithful. When is all this going to happen? When is, I don't know. Our job in the here and now is to be faithful and to trust God with what's going to happen next. God's job is the outcomes. Uh, this passage refers to Noah. He's handled it in the days of Noah and he's going to handle it now. I read this line uh, by N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope. He says this, confessing Jesus as the ascended and coming Lord frees us from needing to pretend that this or that program or leader has the key to utopia. It frees up our corporate life from the despair that comes when we realize that once again our political system has let us down. People who believe that Jesus is already Lord and that he will appear again as judge of the world are called and equipped to think and act quite differently in the world from those who don't. That's us. That's the church. We've been called and we've been equipped to live differently in these days. Our call is to be faithful. His job is the outcomes. This is verse 8. And then verse 9, Peter writes, Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Just look at verse 8 real quick. Verse 8 is not a math problem to be solved. This is not... New math. Uh, you guys remember new math? I remember old math. I don't know anything about new math. This is not new math. This is not a math problem to be solved. We don't know when Jesus is going to come. And this is just like, you remember in English? This is a simile. This is what a simile is, right? This is just, this is just a play on words. It's a simile. But verse 9, come on, you guys. If verse 9, I was, I was kind of surprised, although not totally surprised, when I finished reading verse 9, I was kind of surprised that someone didn't say amen, and it just didn't happen. So verse 9, you guys, one more time. Check out verse 9 one more time. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen. amen. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is gentle. He's so loving that he doesn't want anyone to perish. 
but everyone to come to repentance. All people, all nations, all tribes, all cultures, all people across the political divide, regardless of their sin or their brokenness or their failures or their denials, Peter says. All people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 9 gives me so much hope. Peter has witnessed Jesus do these things. He's seen Jesus express this kind of love, the kind of love that travels through the whole world. He's witnessed Jesus love adulterers and cheaters and habitual abusers and prostitutes and religious leaders and Samaritans and government officials and disciples who get it wrong. Peter has seen Jesus. He has experienced Jesus he has experienced Jesus' love. He has experienced Jesus' patience. He's so patient for the lost and for the found. I don't want you to miss this, so I'm going to read it one more time. Maybe we could get two amens in one sermon. Let's see how it goes. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen, amen. Who is he patient with? Who is he patient with? Who's, who's Peter writing this letter to? The church. Yes, Jesus is being patient with your next door neighbor. Yes. He's writing this letter to the church to ensure the church knows that Jesus is being patient with you, church. Jesus is being patient with me because it's the church that Jesus has given the message of salvation to steward in the neighborhood. Jesus is not being patient with the neighborhood for the sake of the neighborhood. He's being patient with the church for the sake of the neighborhood. He's being patient with you and with me. Instead, he's being patient with you. God is not being patient with them. He's being patient with us. God is patient for the sake of the lost, but he is patient with us because we're the ones who are called to call lost people to repentance. I want Jesus to come back. Today would be amazing. That would be awesome if it was like now. It would be so cool. But Peter says God's being patient with me so that my next door neighbor can hear the gospel and come to repentance. Peter says it's going to happen. He's coming. It's going to happen. These false prophets were saying, well, where is Jesus? How come he hasn't come back? These false prophets kept saying, it's not happening. It's not happening. See, this whole thing's made up. And Peter's saying, no, no, hold on, hold on. So I want us to read a few more of these verses. Uh, verse 10 all the way down um, through verse 18. But the day of the Lord will come, and the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and the speed it's coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the earth or the elements, sorry, will melt in the heat, 
But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. There's a lot going on right here. But right now, he's being patient with us. In the meantime, it's our job to faithfully love those people around us. Just two highlights that I want to point out real quick at what it looks like to be faithful, I think, according to Peter's words, uh, verse 14 and verse, and verse 18. In these days, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And then verse 18, grow. Let's grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause here. And I want to invite a friend of mine to come and talk with you guys a little bit about his story and a little bit about this text and kind of how they intersect. Uh, so would you guys welcome Steve Hyde? Steve, come on up here with me. Get this microphone. You got it? I think it's turned. See if it's turned on. You have to look on the bottom. Is it turned on? No idea. No idea? There you go. Gotcha. Uh, uh, Christy and I met Steve when we were in Cambodia uh, this spring. Um, we were introduced to Steve through Saving Susan, the ministry Saving Susan that uh, Jay and Tracy Artson have started. Steve's been a lifelong missionary uh, in Cambodia. And uh, when we got together, I just got to tell you this real quick. When we got together, when we met for the very first time, we had like one of my favorite meals of all time. We, it was a meal full of laughter. I just want to show you this picture real quick of our time together. So uh, you could just see laughter all around. Um, we were at this little restaurant. Oh, we were eating tacos in Cambodia. <laughs> just for the record, that was weird. But it was really good. I've never seen Dr. Baskin. Some of you know Dr. Baskin. Uh, he started Western Hills Baptist Church, our partner ministry. He's the one that introduced me and our church to Cambodia. And Dr. Baskin was a part of this meal along with Christy and a bunch of other people. We laughed so hard. It was so fun. Um, we just had a really, really good time. And Steve shared just a little bit of his story and is visiting here. And so I said, hey, you got to come and talk with our church a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your call, Steve, to Cambodia and a little bit about your ministry there. Yeah, sure. So I grew up actually as a missionary kid in the Philippines. Um, and so my parents were missionaries there in the Philippines. I actually was born in Iowa, so I'm not from the south, but 
from Iowa. All right, go Welcome Hawkeyes. Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, haven't lived there since I was five, but uh, still kind of loyal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, um, yeah, I, when I, I came back to college and just went anywhere in America, so I just got a scholarship to go to a school in Texas, so I ended up in Texas. And I left after just a few years. But, um, and I was actually, it was actually, I was reading. Yeah. I, I, my senior year in, in college, I was an exchange student in the Soviet Union. And I was on this train, so I had a, a wild life. Um, I was on this train in the desert of, of the, we're going toward the RLC. So anyways, I don't want to bother, bother with details. And I was actually reading First and Second Peter. I was reading First and Second Peter. And I was on this train, and the people said, don't get off the train because somebody might, like, mug you or kill you or something like that and take all your belongings. And, and I was just like, this is so awesome. And, <laughs> and God was just <laughs> like, <go. laughs> yeah, it's like, this is awesome, you know. Who could say they're in the Soviet Union on a, on a train going through the desert, going through this RLC, and, you know, to go and tell people about Jesus? And I was reading these passages, and it wasn't something that jumped out in the passages, but God just said, you know what you're doing right now? I want you to be a missionary, and I've, I've made you for this. And so when I, I got back to the States after that, the Soviet Union collapsed while I was there. I, I didn't do it, but somebody else did it. <laughs> I got back to the States, graduated from college, and, um, and I just called. So my parents were with the Southern Baptist Church, so I called the Southern Baptist and said, if there's anywhere in the world where you want me to go, where do you want me to go? And they said, we have, Cambodia is in a civil war. There's six different factions that are fighting with each other. And we have permission to send three people there. We want to put three people on the ground right now. And I said, I'm, that's, I'm your guy. And so I went and I stayed with the Southern Baptist for two years there. And I just felt like God was saying, spend your life here. And so I've just been there ever since. So that was 28 years ago wow. that I ended up in Cambodia. Wow, wow. Yeah. There we go. Our church never gives applause in a sermon, so this is like wow. the first time ever. This is pretty good. Amen was pretty tough, too. <laughs> <Me>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you heard us. We read, uh, you know, we, we were in this um, Second Peter study. Uh, you heard this line about patience. I was thinking about that. How is God, talk about how God's being patient with the Cambodian people and talk a little bit about your love for the Cambodian people and how you're seeing them come to repentance. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, maybe I'll face you guys this time. <laughs> <laughs> come out of your way. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I think um, Cambodia is a very difficult place. The, thankfully, there's no civil war being fought right now. So people aren't dying from violence, that kind of stuff. They're still stepping on landmines and getting blown up uh, from, by landmines. There's over, you know, there's six million landmines that are still left that need to be uh, disarmed from the war, you know, 40, 50 years of war. And, and, but when God brought me there to Cambodia, there were maybe, maybe 2,000 Christians in the entire country. Everywhere I went and I would talk to people about Jesus, they literally had never heard the name of Jesus. And in the, in the Cambodian language, the way we say Jesus is pre Yesu. And, and so I speak Cambodian very, very fluently, actually. So I actually speak Cambodian better than most Cambodians. And, uh, and so when I say Prehisu, it's not like I've got some weird accent or something like that. I'm actually saying it correctly. But they, they would say to me, like, they would look at me with this dumbfounded look, and they say, we don't, we don't have rubber plantations here. 
And I was like, rubber plantations? The word for rubber plantation is prekausu. Now, you can probably hear the difference between prekausu and prehisu, right? So they literally had never heard of the name of Jesus. And so I took it on myself and other people that God has called there to Cambodia to just share about Jesus wherever we went. And we wanted people to know about Jesus. And it was hard. It was hard. But also, my wife and I, so I met my wife. There she is. I met her there in Cambodia. She's a Cambodian herself. She lived through the genocide in Cambodia. The entire nation was destroyed. They destroyed the infrastructure. They destroyed the roads, the electricity, the homes. The entire nation was destroyed. So we're building from nothing. But also we're building the church from nothing. And so my, my wife and I both felt completely overwhelmed. But God encouraged us, I think. He encouraged us and said, what you're doing now, you're planting seeds for the next generation. And the next generation is going to be better. And then the next generation, because of the seeds you're planting now, the next generation after that is going to be better. So actually, my wife and I have a lot of patience. And we believe what we're doing now, we will never see the results of what we're, what we're going to do. I mean, we're seeing people come to Christ. But we don't have perfect people coming to Christ. We've got broken people that are coming to Christ. Amen. And most of them still look very, very broken. <laughs> and, and so I think you have to have patience when you deal with them. And we're believing for three generations down the road that God is going to use Cambodia in an incredible way. And it's going to be a nation that is going to spread love, not war and violence and death. But it's going to be a, a, a nation that spreads love around our region because of what we're doing now. So wow. uh, it's, it's just that God has given us a heart for patience, I believe. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. I think, there's, uh, I think that's the work of the beauty of the gospel. God using broken people um, to be the hands and the heart and the healers of yeah. others. We talked while we were there a little bit about Cambodia being such a... Um, the nation is culturally Buddhist. Yeah. And you're making disciples, and it's kind of a small number of Christians in yeah. Cambodia. So talk about discipleship. What does discipleship look like for you guys in Cambodia with these folks? Yeah, so I think when we hear the term discipleship, we, everybody kind of has a different idea what discipleship's about. And, and so for me also, I had to come to realization of what discipleship meant for me. Now, I was typical Baptist Grew up in a Baptist church, went to, did a theological degree, got a master's degree in theology and that kind of stuff. And typical Baptist. And sometimes in my mind, I was thinking that to be discipled or to disciple others, to give them the credentials they need to, to be a pastor or to be doctor this or doctor that. And, and that's, not, that's not actually what discipleship is really about that I've come to understand. But discipleship to me is walking next to somebody. And... So I, we, we, we have a, a, a pastor's training school that we have in Cambodia. And interestingly, I've had to go through struggles in my own mind. Who do we admit into our pastor's training school? Because there's nowhere that you can get a master's degree in, in theology in Cambodia. So who do you admit into your pastor's training school? And so I really had this struggle, you know. And actually, it's interesting that we're talking about First Peter, or First and Second Peter right now, because if you read in First Peter, at the end of First Peter in chapter 5, Peter said, thank you, Silas, for helping me write this. Now, that may, that may not mean a lot to you, but that means a huge amount to me. You know what it means to me? Peter couldn't read and write. 
Peter couldn't read and write. Peter didn't have a master's degree in theology. He had to get somebody to write these books. That's why they're so short. <laughs> he had to get somebody to help him write it down. So then I thought to myself, well, if we're discipling other people, why do we put these high expectations like, oh, if you want to be, be discipled by me, you need to have a certain level of education. You need, so I decided, well, let's, let's just simple it. Let's just knock it down. If you love Jesus and you want to learn about Jesus, then I'll let you come and I will disciple you. But I have one. doesn't matter if you can read or write. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a child or you're 85 years old. doesn't matter. If you're willing to come and to learn, that's the first thing. doesn't matter what your qualifications are. Second thing is you have to be willing to teach what I teach you, and you have to walk alongside at least two or three or four, maybe even ten other people in the same way. And so what you're being given, you have to give it away. Well, I told you, 28 years ago, the church in Cambodia had about 2,000 people. There were eight churches in the entire country when I showed up there. Now, there are so many churches we can't even count. And it's not because of missionaries like myself going around and holding crusades or that kind of stuff. It's because we taught illiterate people to read, to, to, not to read, but we taught illiterate people to walk along other people in their faith and to lead other people to Christ. And for example, the baptism we saw today, I don't know that young man at all. I don't know how old he is. I didn't hear his age, but I don't know. I'm guessing I'm 10, 11, 12 seventh years grade. old. He's going in seventh, seventh grade. grade. Yep. For me, he's ready to go. He's ready to pastor. I mean, He's got all you around him, you know. He's ready to explode. So, you know, I would, I would tell him. Jacob was telling me that I didn't need to preach just to get Brennan to come on yeah, down exactly. and take over. He told me that after his baptism. That's you right. know, tell him to get his friends. We're talking about how do you reach That's your right. neighborhood. He's going to reach the neighborhood. That's not, right. Not you. That's not right. I. He's going right. to reach his neighborhood. He's going to reach his school. And so that's how we do discipleship is we disciple everybody, but you have to make a commitment that you're going to disciple others as well. And so now there's tens of thousands of Christians in Cambodia, even maybe millions of Christians in Cambodia. And wherever I go now in Cambodia, every corner of Cambodia, when I talk about Jesus, they know who he is. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Amaz amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. All right, two more questions that I, that I said I would ask you. How's God being patient with you, Steve? Oh. And, and then I, I, want, I want us to talk about, I want you to talk about how we can pray for you and your family. I know you guys have been going at it for a long time. So yeah. talk about those two things. How do you sense God being patient with you? I think um, I'm not perfect. <laughs> None of us are. Um, I think God's being patient with me. Um, because I think I'm of the generation also that we want to see results quickly. We want to see things happen quickly. And I think God's patient with me, and he puts people purposely in front of me, I'm sure, that are kind of the, the worst cases ever. And <laughs> he just gives me, like, the nightmare case. They're, they're the guys that show up and say, will you help me? And it's like, oh, my goodness, my why couldn't I get somebody from Georgia, you know? <laughs> but I get people that come and say, would you help disciple me? I, you know, I used to eat people during the war, and we would kill our victims, and we eat them. And can you help me get over the craving of eating people? Oh, Lord. You know, 
But God is teaching me patience. You know, God is teaching me patience. God's patient with me. In, the, in brokenness that I have, he loves me, and he forgives me, and he helps me, encourages me. The frustrations that we have going around us, uh, the complexity of our life, the travels that we've, we've been in the States here for a little over a month now, and we've slept in 21 different places now. And, and God's patient with me, <laughs> and he gives me, he gives me hope, he gives me the endurance, he gives me the ability to keep going. Um, and how can you pray for me? Just pray for us. This has been a great time in the U.S. to be here, um, to be relaxed a bit, to be not constantly bombarded by difficulties and struggles and problems and the phone constantly ringing and that kind of stuff. And, and so this has been good. But also pray, we're waiting for my youngest daughter, who's not, he's in, she's in the children's class right now, we're waiting for her passport to go back to the States. And so that's, we're just waiting. And then we've been waiting for over a month now. And so school also starts for my children on Monday. Wow. But we're not going to be here, so pray yeah. for them because um, yeah. they're not going to be at their school, and so they've got to figure out how to catch up with their classes while we wait for this passport. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. We can pray. Yeah. I asked uh, David Hazlip if he'd come and pray over these guys. But would you guys come? Would you guys come up, Noy, um, family? Adam, would you guys come up? Emily, come on up and join these guys. Uh, Adam and Emily are from Saving Susan Ministry and been partners. Um, with these guys. Christy, will you join us? Thank you, David. Introduce everybody for us, Steve. This is my son, Udam, and uh, Udam is 15 years old, and we just came from a Boy Scout camp in Knoxville, and uh, so we had a fun there. This is my wife, Noit, if you can all see. <laughs> Sorry, no. This is, yeah, this is my wife, Noit. She's an actual Cambodian. <laughs> yeah. And this is my daughter, Anna, who's 17. And Emily, Adam, and uh, yeah. And David. You need the mic. <laughs> uh, these guys work with Saving Susan. Um, Steve is a partner with the Saving Susan ministry. And these guys have done some really, really cool work over the last couple of years uh, in Cambodia. David's one of our elders and has been to Cambodia a couple times, has a heart for Cambodia. We went together a couple times. And um, so I asked David if he would just pray on behalf of all of us. But I want to just invite you guys to stand. Would you stand with us? And if you can, just would encourage you just to, just to raise your hand toward these guys as, um, as David prays. Lord, thank you for the Hyde family and for the way they love you, Lord for the way they love Jesus, and for the way they love and serve the people of Cambodia. We trust, Lord, that you are at work in the lives of Steve and Noet, Paul, Anna, Odom, and Pearl. Please, Lord, give this sweet family a clear message on how to proceed as they follow in obedience and share with Cambodians about you, Lord. Father, we pray protection over this family. We pray for safety and good health. We pray for overwhelming spiritual protection around this family. We pray that the hearts they come in contact with will be open and willing to hear and receive the beautiful truth of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for the hearts and lives of the Cambodian people. We pray for open doors and victory in your name so that Cambodia will become a Christian nation. And there will be such a great awakening that your love will be spread across all of Asia. Amen. Please, Lord, let it be so. Amen. Lord, I ask for uh, the the kids that um, are struggling or won't be in school on time, Lord, we just pray that you will help them and get them through that and get that 
passport here so they can go back home. Lord, please let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, David. Thank you, Thank you guys.